0: Twelve. Let me share a story with you as we, we begin. I don't know if it's true, but I think it's going to set sort of the table for us as we take a look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. There was a farmer who needed a new car but became frustrated by all the charges for optional equipment on top of the base price. Well, he finally bought the car and sometime later the man who sold it to him came to his farm to purchase a cow. And so the farmer got his revenge when he presented the salesman with an itemized bill, and here's what it said: Basic cost 200 dollars. Two-tone exterior, 45. Extra stomach, 75. product storage compartment, 60. Dispensing device 40, because there's four spigots at 10 dollars each. And genuine cowhide upholstery, 125 with an automatic fly swatter, 35 dollars. Totaling 595, Now that's a fun way to begin looking, friends, at a very, very difficult topic, talking about revenge. And I want to kind of remind you of where we've been so that you'll know where, where we are is uh, the fitting conclusion of what Paul has been talking about. Do you remember a long time ago, it seems like a long time ago, that we began with three characteristics of fully Committed servant of God. Now let me just take a moment right at the very beginning, because this is so crucial. It's fundamental to the entire uh, series that we've been looking at called Committed to Worship. Here's what the word worship means. All through the Bible, most fundamentally, if you study worship in scripture, at the very core of it, even though the Bible comes at it from so many different angles, at the very core of the word worship, is the word service. Can I show you that from Jesus? Would you take your Bibles and flip back to to Matthew chapter 4? Let me just show you this briefly. This is so important as we conclude this series that we understand what has been the point of the entire series, and that is we would become better servants of God. Do you remember when Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and He didn't eat for 40 days, and during that time, he was tested. And you know who tested him? It was Lucifer, the devil. Now, friends, listen, probably nobody in this room has ever had to deal up front with Lucifer. He's not omnipresent. More than likely, he's after the big people in the kingdom of God, trying to bring him down. I don't think he probably has ever met us, but he's got legions and legions of demons. And we encounter spiritual opposition all the time. But Jesus met the chief, Satan. And here's what Satan tried to do. He tried to get him to worship him. And look, look at verse uh, 9 or verse 8. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain. This is Matthew chapter 4. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me in other words if you will fall down jesus and serve me he doesn't mean just fall down and chance and prostrate and sing to him and practice the guitar so you do it well that's not what he means he means if you will fall down and give me your life and commit your life to serving me jesus i'll give you all the glory that this world has to offer look what jesus says verse 10. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Here it is. In him only you shall what? Friends, are you getting this? I've had to learn this. I'm trying to learn this. The very core of worshiping God is living a life that is fully dedicated, fully committed to serving him every single day. Do you remember what we've been trying to learn? You get up in the morning, everybody look here, you get up in the morning, and when your feet hit the floor, we're trying to learn what a redemptive pause looks like in the life of a believer before you take your first step, Lord, you've got something for me to do today, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to take all of what I wanted to do today and sort of put it on hold and do what you want me to do. Maybe there's a surprise coming. Maybe there's something difficult coming. Maybe there's somebody coming on the bus or on the subway or on the train that's going to sit down next to me, and I'm going to have to ask them how they're doing, and they're going to unfold their life story, and, Lord, I'm going to be your servant as I point them to Jesus. Maybe it's a neighbor who's struggling, and you go over and you clean their house for him. I don't know what it is, but every day God gives us an assignment And every time he gives us an assignment, Romans says he gives us everything we need to do that assignment fully to the glory of God. That's what it means to worship God, to live every day in the expectation that there's a God worth giving my life to. I hope we're learning that. That's entirely why Romans 12 was written. And so Paul began in the beginning showing us three characteristics of a fully committed worshiper, servant of God. Then he expands this ripple, and he showed us ten obligations all fully committed Christians have in the church family. He expanded the ripple again and showed us seven duties that every committed Christian has with all people, whether it's a Christian person or not. And finally, the last ripple, five duties, that all Christians have toward those who are their enemies. And we looked at three of them two weeks ago. And we looked at them, and here they are. Do not make payments on evil. That was the first one. And then secondly, think through evil before it occurs. That's the time to begin preparing. Listen, it's, it's undeniable that bad things are going to happen to us. People are going to hurt us. And unfortunately, we're probably going to hurt people. But when do you think through that? Not in the midst, because we're terrible trench Christians. When we're down in the trench, we don't do too well, usually. It's before you prepare your mind. So you think through evil before it occurs. And third, you learn to be a peacemaker. And here we are to chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. And let me give you a disclaimer. Are you ready? Some of you are not going to like this sermon. I'm really honest. Some of you are going to argue with me in this sermon. That's all right. I'd rather you argue than not listen. Some of you are going to walk out of here today and go, he has no idea what real suffering is. That's fine. That's that's all right to say. Some of you have gone through horrific abuse, horrific evil, My heart goes out to you. You've got all the grace that my heart can muster. If you don't like what you hear, that's fine. But do this, please. Take what you hear plainly written in the word of God and interact with it. Don't run from it. Don't try to push it away. Don't hide from it. Take it and embrace it because everything I'm preaching this morning, I think, is pretty clearly written in the word of God. So If you don't like this sermon, that's fine. I don't like it either. I really don't. I'm terrible at this. i am gonna be very honest with you. My flesh recoils at what I'm about to tell you. But I know it's true, and I've got to do business with the Lord. So I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. Verses 19 through 21, here's what it says. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do we learn? Well, number four, we hit the first three, two weeks ago. Number four, leave vengeance to God. This is a duty of every fully committed believer in Jesus. Leave vengeance to God. In other words, letter A in your outlines, we never. Now listen, this is hard to hear. We never, ever have the right to get revenge. There are no exceptions to this. This is what Paul says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. You know, the word never really doesn't have a lot of wiggle room. It's not except when or on the first and second hurt only don't take revenge. Never. Never. It's not ever, past, present, or future, Paul says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. But friends, let's be honest. The natural reaction that is woven into the flesh of every Christian, that the Spirit of God is still battling, Galatians 5, that flesh wants to get back at those who hurt us. The natural reaction... Is to answer hostility with hostility, and we answer graciousness with graciousness. That's just what the flesh does. Paul's teaching us that we need to answer hostility with graciousness always. Now think with me how difficult this really is. Just as last week, if you're reading the papers in Lehigh Valley. Road rage accident. A male driver did something that ticked off a female driver. She gave an obscene gesture. He tried to get her off the road. He ended up going off the road, having an accident, and getting killed. This last week, that took place. You want to see undiluted revenge and retaliation? Then just get onto an internet forum, because anonymous Internet forum writers almost always descend into depravity. It's amazing to watch them. Somebody says something on the forum that they didn't like, that they get back with something even more spiteful, and it spirals downward until you just click off the Internet because you're so sick. Paul's point to us is that Christians never have the right to take revenge. So that means then, friends, if you're like me, you you really do want to know what the word avenge means. What's it mean when it says we're not to avenge ourselves? When someone wrongs and hurts us, let me ask you, be honest, how do you feel and what is it that you want to do? (laughs) The word avenge has a couple layers to it. You ready? It's really interesting. Let me bring them together for you. Let me tell you what they are first. It means out of your rights and executing justice. Bring them together. Here's what it means. It's to act out a sense that you have the right to dispense your own justice against the one who has hurt you. That's what it means to avenge. Three times Paul has put a restraint on this part of living. Look what he says. Verse verse 14 We're told to bless those who persecute us, you know, pursue us with an evil intent to harm us. That's what persecute means. We're supposed to bless them. Verse 17, we're told to not repay evil with evil. And then now here, never avenge yourselves. This is such a problem that Paul speaks about it three times in just a few verses. Do you agree with me? I'm pretty sure you're going to that every person alive is going to experience evil from other people. I really don't think there's an exception. Sometimes it's from your own family members. You know the old familiar, one spouse says something and hurts the other spouse, so they do something back, maybe passive aggressively. But it puts this weird dysfunctional dance into their marriage. It happens in marriages all the time. Somebody's going to hurt us, and sometimes it's going to be from our own families. Friends, have you ever had something stolen from you? Makes you feel violated. You ever had your reputation thrown into the mud and stepped all over? You ever been falsely accused or attacked or taken advantage of? Have you ever loaned out money, maybe even thousands of dollars, and then never had it returned? The list goes on and on because evil is creative. The first step to leaving vengeance with God, here it is, you ready? It's to fully believe that God has never, ever given us the right to execute our own justice. That's the number one step that you've got to weave into your theology, into your living, if you're going to be able to live the way fully cr- committed Christians ought. Years ago, our townhouse that we used to live in had a side to it that worked as a perfect billboard because everybody that came into our development, the first thing they saw was the side of our townhouse. Everybody else has had trees all in front of it. Ours was right there, beautiful, beautiful. And it was an awesome display of graffiti when one guy expresses undying love to his girlfriend on the side of our house. Two weeks later, in April, this all happened in April, the same people writing the same thing added on to what they had written previously. Now, I've got to tell you, First of all, there's not really anything that I have found that could take off spray paint from vinyl siding. Nothing. And I bought a lot of stuff. And I was angry, to be honest with you. I was furious. And you know what happened in my heart? I would lay awake at night. I slept on the couch for about two weeks. I, I laid awake at night, and in my mind, replayed, and replayed and replayed what I would do if I caught those people doing this. I didn't want to kill them. I wanted to maim them for life. There's a big difference. Because I thought that just maiming somebody doesn't result in a prison sentence. And literally, in that two-week span, I read an article of a guy that maimed a uh, break-in criminal and went to prison. So I altered my plans. Lord, I just want you to maim them. But I replayed it over and over in my mind. There was something that rooted in my flesh. I wanted somehow to get revenge. Now, some of you, probably many of you, have had experiences way beyond getting paint on your siding. And you might be thinking right now, Tim, this is one area, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, that I really don't care what the Bible says. Because if somebody breaks into my home, somebody hurts me, or the ones that I love, or they steal from me, they're going to pay. Friends, it's hard. We need the Spirit of God to restrain us when people hurt us. But let, let me tell you this quickly. God has never left his children defenseless. And this is what Paul tells us next. Look at your Bibles when he says, but leave it. To the wrath of god do you know what this means it means that we have a powerful protector it means yes we're supposed to never ever take revenge why because we have a powerful protector the phrase leave it to the wrath means to give place or grant territory now that sounds a little odd until you understand that paul is saying when somebody does evil to us god has given us a choice to give over to him the responsibility to take care of the situation. In other words, we are to grant the job of wrath to God. But we need to know what wrath is. We have a lot of us in here that I've talked to that struggle with anger. Anger and wrath, two different things. Wrath, here's, here's what wrath looks like. You ready take a balloon? You blow it up, blow it up, blow it up, and then it finally pops. That's exactly what the picture of wrath is. It's something that swells until it eventually bursts. It's controlled. It's slow building. It's settled anger. It's got built-in patience. It's God's hostile feeling towards sin in every one of its forms. It's not the quick, uncontrolled, reactive anger that we tend to think about. Paul is telling us, leave that wrath to god because it's only god who can maintain the perfect balance between anger justice and mercy friends isn't it true aren't you like me that when you get angry when you get really angry it's so difficult to maintain mercy and justice because i don't know about you when i get angry i'm always right and the other person is always wrong And usually, mercy is the very last thing that we want to give. So Paul says, give the territory of wrath to the only one who handles it perfectly every time, God. But there's something else he says. I want you to see it. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What that means is God always gives out perfect justice. Now, here's the brilliance of the Apostle Paul. I hope you're astounded at paul's writing he is unbelievably gifted he tells us to never take revenge let's read it here's what he says remember verse 19 beloved never avenge yourselves and then he tells us how to be able to do that you see god never ever tells us something to do without first explaining how and then giving us the ability to do it. He does this through the word of God. Paul is explaining, here's how you don't take revenge. Never, ever get it. Never, ever take it. It's not your right. God's going to protect you, and he's powerful. And finally, God always gives out perfect justice. Can I say something to you this morning that you'll at least chew on? You don't have to agree with it at first but at least lodge it here for later contemplation, because I think this is true. How well we re- refrain from revenge, here it is, you ready? Always reveals how much we believe in God's justice. The Christian that pays back and gets revenge is a Christian that really doesn't believe that God will exercise perfect justice. That Christian really doesn't have faith in the words of Nahum, chapter 1. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. That vengeful Christian, honestly, does not believe this. If you just get it right down to where the rubber meets the road. He doesn't want to wait for God. He wants justice now. Can you imagine if you had the power of God? Think about that for a second. Sometimes we think that'd be awesome, but what would you do if your husband mistreats you or your wife? What would you do if your boss doesn't give you a a fair review? What would you do to that person that tries to break into your home? If you had the power of God, I guarantee there'd be a lot less people on this earth, right? But God exercises perfect justice at all times. The Christian, though, that exercises revenge, here's what that Christian believes. God has all power, but poor character. God is all divine and omnipotent, but he doesn't care about my situation, so I need to take it into my hands. Both the righteous and the unrighteous will one day receive God's perfect justice. Did you know that? Probably one of the clearest places in Scripture that we learn this is in Colossians. Whatever you do, work heartily, Christian. Why? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's for the Christian. But look what, what the wrongdoer has to look forward to. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Leaving vengeance to God is because He is to believe that He alone can exercise it perfectly. So, what is our responsibility as fully committed believers when somebody hurts us? Well, we've heard the passive, the negative, don't take revenge. But he gives us a positive. And he says, be an overcomer. That's number five. And our final duty in Romans 12. Let me be clear, clear with something quickly right at the beginning. You ready? You've got to listen to this, please. Paul is not saying, Paul is not saying to leave room for God's wrath because God can hurt that person in ways that you couldn't even think of. That's not what he's saying. Believe me, I've had to explain this to people before. I've had to accept it myself. This isn't a call for either of two things. You ready? Romans 12 is not a defendable text for passive non-resistance. You know, the belief that you should never resist an evil person. Years ago, right before I came to this church, I was candidating at a Mennonite church, a wonderful church down in lower Pennsylvania. And I knew that there were two major doctrines that I differed with in the Mennonite church. As good as that church is, I just differed with two of them. One of them is passive non-resistance. And they asked me to come in and interview on the the search committee. And we made it through that search committee almost to the end when what I knew was coming finally came. And that was this. If somebody broke into your home, Tim with a gun and threaten your family, what would you do? I said to them as honest as I could, I said I would do whatever I could to defend my family. But then I turned it around and asked them, what would you do? And they said to me, we don't know what we would do. We know what we want to do. What we believe would be the right thing to do is to just trust that God has everything in control, but we don't really know what to do. You see, most denominations most christians who believe in passive non-resistance and that's fine that's their prerogative but they use romans 12 19 through 21 to support their view and they can't be used in that way this isn't what paul is saying but he's not saying another thing either and that is passive vengeance you know what passive vengeance is passive vengeance is when you pray that god will get that person back and make them suffer it's not really unique to scripture by the way Do you remember James and John traveling with Jesus and the disciples and they came to that Samaritan village and the village when it let them in would not give hospitality to them so here's James and John who come up to Jesus passive vengeance like and say Lord let us pray that the heavens will unleash fire and consume them all. That's why they're called the sons of thunder. And Jesus rebuked them. It's not the way Christ works when someone mistreats us. But one might say, what about Samson? I mean, Surely this is a fine example of somebody that was allowed and blessed by God To get revenge. Here it is. Oh Lord God. As Samson had one arm on one supporting pillar. And the other arm on the other. To this palace. To this temple. And he says. Oh Lord God. Please remember me. Please strengthen me. Only this once. Oh God. That I may be avenged on the Philistines. For my two eyes. And he pushes with the power of God. And thousands of Philistines died on that day. Along with Samson. But friends. This was less about granting Samson self-centered prayer for revenge and more about God defending his own glory because the Philistines were proclaiming that their God Dagon was supreme. This was God protecting his glory, not granting the prayers of a vengeful child of his. Paul is about to teach us a better way that could potentially advance the kingdom of God when people hurt us. He's showing us a powerful way to overcome the very evil behind hurtful actions. Here's what he says. Let's look at it, verse 20 and 21. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's several ways the people have understood what it means to heap burning coals on your enemies' heads. Let me give you three of them and tell you which one I think makes best sense. First, some suggest that it comes from the Old Testament where it is said that God will rain fiery coals on the wicked. This is Psalm 11.6. In other words, here's what it means. It means that by serving those who hurt you, you increase their guilt with God and so increase his punishment of them. So if you hurt me, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to show you love and mercy and kindness because all the while I know that God's going to increase his judgment. Friends, there's people that believe this, Christians who hold to that. But that can hardly be the right translation if you put it in context where we are meant, meant to Bless those who persecute us and pray for them. So letter A is probably not the one. How about letter B? Others see it as burning shame and pain inflicted on our enemies when we return kindness. That's what they believe. It's the burn. By the way, this is probably the most popular one. The burning shame and pain inflicted on our enemies when we return kindness But, friends, if the end result if somebody just feeling miserable and shameful about their actions, that's hardly redemptive. I think there's a better option, and that's the third one. And it comes from an Egyptian practice, ancient Egyptian practice. And they had a ritual that when a person was filled with repentance, godly sorrow that changed their mind, changed their behavior, when they were filled with repentance... They would fill a basket with a, a pan with burning coals and put it in a basket and place it on their heads and walk around. That's what the Egyptians used to do. And that was the, sig- the symbol, the signal to all those who saw that not only were they sorry, filled with shame and, and misery, but they were sorry to the point of repentance and change. In fact, William Classen, from his article Coals of Fire, a Sign of Repentance or Revenge, he says the coals were a dynamic symbol of a change of mind which takes place as a result of somebody's deed of love. You see, the coals of fire that our kindness may heap on an enemy's head are intended to heal, not hurt. To win him or her to Christ, not alienate. In fact, to shame the person into repentance, not into misery. Let me sum it up like this. You ready? This is so important. The overriding hope of every fully committed believer is that even his enemies would experience the mercy, the goodness, the love of God that would lead them towards salvation. That's the heart of a fully committed believer right in the face of, of somebody who hurts you. I mean, who better to give mercy to those who least deserve it than us who have least deserved it, but yet have received it so abundantly from God? Now, please believe me when I say right now, I know I am so sure that what you are hearing is probably generating a litany of protests a bunch of questions. A frequent concern that is almost always communi- communicated to me in counseling from wives of hurtful, sinful husbands is that of I don't want to be a doormat. Tim, you're telling me that he can do whatever he wants no matter how much it hurts me and the kids, and you're telling me I have to just take it? Is that what God is telling me? Because if it is, I can't and I won't. I hear that a lot. And I can tell you that my heart goes out to you and it's not just women. I've had men that have been beat up by their wives. No no joke. Notice I didn't mention Matt or Ken's name. Ken's back there with his hand up in the air. I want to be very sensitive. And careful that you understand what I believe the Bible teaches. Ready? Here it is. I'm coming down the end. This is so important. Paul has no doormat in mind. Because a doormat is a static, powerless object that exists to scrape mud and dirt and dust from the shoes of those who walk on it. It could hardly be more opposite than what he teaches us in verse 21 Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is nothing weak, there's nothing static, there's nothing powerless about this verse. It's the power that we have to overcome sin, and it is no small thing to be trifled with. Let me give you an example, true story, during World War II, a Catholic priest, by the name of Hugh O'Flaherty, demonstrated the power of an overcomer. Friends, go to the internet, research this on your own. It is a true story. And as he served in the Vatican, he learned of the Nazi atrocities. And he became actively involved in protecting the Jews and the Allied pilots who were shot down over Italy. Colonel Kapler, SS German SS commander in Rome, learned of what O'Flaherty was doing And he set out to capture him and kill him. And he attempted repeatedly, but every one of them failed. And finally, he succeeded in capturing several of O'Flaherty's associates, including his closest and best friend on earth. Kapler himself ordered the torture and execution of every one of those prisoners. And it was shortly after that that the Allied Armies invaded Italy, surrounding Rome, freeing them. Kapler was captured and he was sentenced to life imprisonment for his war crimes. Here's the rest of the story. This is phenomenal and it's a true story. It's all of our call. Here's what happened. Despite all the wrongs Kepler had committed, O'Flaherty resolved to love his enemy not only with words but with actions. Every month, the only visitor that kapler ever received in prison was this priest who drove to see the man who tried so hard to kill him year after year he learned about kapler's needs and he did everything he could to meet them he demonstrated the love the mercy and the goodness of god and listen friends in march of 1959 after 180 monthly visits Kapler finally repented, confessed his sins, and prayed for God's salvation through Jesus Christ. He he who had made a career of brutally overcoming others was himself overcome by the burning coals of love and mercy and kindness that O'Flaherty heaped on his head every month. It's a true story. And there are many Examples of fully committed believers advancing the kingdom of God right through the path of their greatest enemies. This is the power, not of a doormat, but of an overcomer. It's the power of a fully committed Christian who leaves revenge to God. It's the same power that Christ demonstrated his entire life. But I have to stand up for my rights, we think. Friends, we in Christ have the most powerful person in all creation, outside of creation rather, who promises to stand up for, or defend us and who will deliver perfect justice. And that God told us stop standing up for your rights. Leave it to me. Start standing up for showing mercy to the and love to the very one who is who is hurting you so that they can come to salvation. And bring goodness, mercy, and love to the very head of that person that it might bring him to repentance. What does God ask us to do through Paul? He says, first, let us leave any necessary punishment to God. Second, friends, listen, let us get busy serving our enemies' welfare, overcoming them with the power of good. I told you you're not going to like this sermon. I'm the one looking at this all week. And I am terrible at this. And I have had to seriously begin praying, Lord, I need help. And I think many of you might too. So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, this is the hardest of the ripples, in my opinion. The duties that we have, all five of them, Lord, to those who are set out to hurt us, to take advantage of us. Lord, it's terribly difficult. Our flesh cannot do it. The Spirit of God can. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters along with how I pray for myself. Lord, let me leave vengeance alone with my mouth and with my actions and even in my heart. And let me move towards them with grace, mercy, goodness, and love. Lord, that's the calling of a fully committed Christian who has put themselves on the altar and said God I will live exclusively for you and I will serve you and Lord you find that extraordinarily pleasing. Lord I pray that our enemies, their chief enemies, the world and evil spiritual forces and our flesh that all conspire to convince us of our rights and our justified, justice-taking. Lord, I pray that those enemies would be silenced by the power of the word of God, the renewing of our minds. And Lord, that you would transform us to be able to do what no one can without the spirit of God, and that is love the very ones who are hurting us to the point of their salvation. Lord, thank you for modeling this in Jesus as he was on that cross and the very kindness of God himself and the Son and the flesh poured out And even those hanging on the cross, at least one of them, and those who were putting him on the cross, Lord, proclaimed who he was, the Son of God, the Savior, and put their faith in him. Lord, I pray that we would live that in Jesus' name. Amen.